Good morning, everybody. Howdy. Please turn to Genesis 25 if you're not already there. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 34. Starting in verse 19. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, he was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them, so the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I am about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Let's pray again. Father, help us as we look to this, this text here in your, in your scriptures. Help us to gain understanding of what you're giving to us, Father, of what you're, of why you brought this to us to understand your word and your will for us in our lives. We pray that Christ would be honored in our gathering this morning. Amen. So our text begins saying this is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. The King James says here, and these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. It was mentioned earlier in the Genesis studies at another time when when it mentioned something like this, the generations of, of someone, that, that there is a structure to Genesis. There is a structure to, to Genesis and it deals with different families. And each part begins with, these are the generations of. And then it mentions a different head of a family. It begins in Genesis 2.4. That's the exception, by the way. In Genesis 2.4, it, it doesn't mention a certain head of a family. It says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. But all the other times it mentions a, a, a man. The Hebrew for these are the generations, or what's translated as these are the generations. The, the Hebrew is something like Toledoth. So it's Toledoth of the heavens 
and the earth. And then in chapter 5 and verse 1, it says the generations of Adam. In chapter 6 and verse 9, the generations of Noah. 11 and verse 27, the generations of Terah. Here in chapter 25, verse 19, the generations of Isaac. And in 37 and verse 2, the generations of Jacob. It also says this for Ishmael and Esau and others. And and I bring that up to show us that the way God has given to us the book of Genesis, it's there there are divisions, and except for that first time, they're divided according to different families and different heads of those families. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. Some of these families, some of these men are following the Lord. Most of them aren't. Some are believing families. Most aren't believing families. So we can understand the book of Genesis as being full of families. And it's really God's dealings with all of these families. And that's really why this book is its so relatable to us. Believers back then walking with God. Believers today walking with the same God. It's It's a very different culture. We have much technology that they didn't have back then. But it's the same. Believers with their struggles, with their sin, trying to walk with God in a way that's honorable to him. So this book is, is very relatable to Christians today. As, as we've seen, we're already halfway into it. We're here in chapter 25, as um, different men have been teaching through it. So today we're going to look at this, this text we have right here in, in two different sections. First, we're going to look at the parents, Isaac and Re- Rebecca, And then we're going to see the, the twin sons, Jacob and Esau. This text begins with the two verses giving an introduction of Isaac and Rebekah. And then right after that, the first thing we see is is Isaac pleading to the Lord. It says, Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Rebekah couldn't get pregnant. And it wasn't just a few years that she had this problem. We know when there's a, a new marriage, the first thing that they want, that they usually want, right, is, is children. If it takes a few years, there's some concern For them, it wasn't a few years. It was 20 years, 20 years. She was barren. She could not get pregnant. We see in verse 20, it says Isaac was 40 years old when when he took Rebecca as wife. He was 40 years old. And then we see in verse 26, Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. 20 years. That's a long time. That's almost as long as Abraham and Sarah went without having children. And, and we see it in, in the account with Abraham. He struggled. It was very difficult for him. You know, we know that they, that they try, they chose to try to encourage or to speed up that process with Hagar. We don't read anything about that here. One thing that Isaac and Rebecca learned from Abraham and, and Sarah was to trust in the Lord. When, when God gives a promise and God takes longer than we expect, 20 years longer, trust in the Lord. Wait on Him. Seek contentment from him. Seek patience from him. We don't read anything about Isaac having other wives. We don't read anything about Isaac having any other concubines. What did he do when God took a long time in order to to bring his promise to fruition? He pleaded to the Lord. And it says, and God answered and gave Rebekah twins. We can just read that verse and, and just continue going through it, but 20 years is a long time. It really shows Isaac's and, and Rebecca's trust there. That would have been a, a difficult 20 years for them. But they didn't seek to, to fix things. They ended up making things worse than it was. They, they endured the trial that God had given to them and they endured, endured it without adding more drama to it. You know, and we can do that at times as we saw with Abraham and Sarah. 
We, we can try to medicate our sin, medicate our trials and our problems. I said it wrong. Try to medicate our trials and our problems with sin. But the world does that. Unbelievers medicate their problems with sin. They try to numb the pain. When believers try to do that, it just leads to more and more trouble. And, and we know that. We can probably think of times in our, in our lives when we try to do that and it just leads to trouble. We just need to, whatever difficulty we're in, take it from the Lord and God's providence and seek Him for help in dealing with it. So God answered His prayer and gave Rebecca twins. Rebecca got pregnant and we can understand that there's joy in the home now. There, there's, there's joy. God finally answered the prayer after, after 20 years and, and now she's pregnant. But then the first thing we read there is that the children struggled within her. And then she said, if, if, if all is well, if, if this is the way it should be, if God is blessing us, why am I like this? She finally got pregnant and now she's experiencing problems in her pregnancy. And this is really a far different picture than what happened with and what God did with Isaac's brother, Isaac's older brother, Ishmael. With Isaac's older brother, Ishmael, who, who wasn't even following the Lord, Ishmael kept having sons. We read in the same chapter in Genesis 25 and verses 13 through 15 about Ishmael's sons. It says, and these were the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names, according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael was Nebajoth, then Kedar, Abiel, Midsam, Mishma, Duma, Massa, Hadar, Tema, Jeter, Naphish, and Kedema, son after son after son. All the while, Isaac was praying for his first. Sometimes it can feel like if, if I'm walking with the Lord, if, if I'm living according to God's ways, is this really the blessed life that I should have? And we can, we can mock prosperity preachers, we know about that false theology, but there is truth to where God rewards when we follow after Him. God disciplines us when we, when we disobey. So we can wonder, well, why, why is this trial too severe? Why is this trial too much for me? I can understand a little bit of a trial, but maybe, you know, maybe 20 years is, is too long of a time. How about three years? We can feel that way. That there are times when trials aren't far from God's people. It does say in Psalm 34 and verse 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. And and our trials may take a long time, just the same way as it did with, with Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac didn't have any sons until he was 60. And in those times, we have to trust in the Lord. There is no other way for the believer to live other than trusting in the Lord. Trials really teach us to trust God and they teach us to walk by faith and not by sight. Because we will walk by sight and not by faith unless God teaches us otherwise. So Isaac showed great trust in God when he pleaded to the Lord when Rebekah was barren. And that's all we read. Rebekah showed trust in God by inquiring of the Lord when she had problems in her pregnancy. And the Lord told Rebekah in verse 23, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. This was the Lord's word to Rebekah. The scriptures teach male headship, that the husband is to lead the wife, and the wife is to submit to her husband. But that doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't ever speak to the wife. 
That doesn't mean that the, the wife shouldn't seek to grow and to follow after, after the Lord. She doesn't need to wait for her husband. Sometimes she needs to follow the Lord even when her husband isn't, and that could be a re- re- rebuke to a Christian husband and could help him, encourage him to get with it, to follow the Lord, to be more disciplined in his walk with God. So both husbands and wives, as they're following the Lord, should follow the Lord, should seek to give God their all. It says that the Lord, the Lord spoke to her. But it doesn't say how he spoke directly to Rebecca. It doesn't say if it was an audible word or if Rebecca heard this in her heart or if she went to Abraham to inquire of the Lord or, or some other prophet. We don't know, but we do know that God gave her a word. She received a word from the Lord. And since this was a word from the Lord, this was not some hidden thing. This was not something that was just between her and God. Isaac would have known about it. If he knew about it, either he knew about it then and there or else he would have found out about it from her or from someone else. Isaac would have known about this. This was not a hidden thing. They both knew that God said before these twins were born, God said, two people shall be separated from your body and the older shall serve the younger. They both knew this. So why didn't Isaac believe the Lord when he said this? Why was Isaac still trying to give um, Esau the blessing later on in his life when he knew that God said the, the older will serve the younger? Basically, the birthright is going to go to the younger. It's, the answer has to be simply, Isaac favored Esau. And when Isaac's will was different from the Lord's, Isaac went with his own will. He, he chose to ignore God's will. I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know if he was thinking God would change his will. God would bless Isaac's bad decision. But the fact is, he didn't submit to God's will. He went with his own will. And we know that that brought a lot of problems in their marriage. And we can even think about it today. If there is a serious disagreement, as this was in their marriage, if there is a serious disagreement in a, in a marriage today, there's a serious disagreement in your marriage and, and in, in my marriage. If, if you're in, in, at odds with your spouse, prayerfully study God's word to be sure that you're in line with God's, with God's will. Seek godly counsel. And don't just seek godly counsel, but receive godly counsel. Receive it as it's according to God's word, if it's according to God's word, and communicate with your spouse all the while that as you're seeking to be sure that you're in line with God's will. Isaac was ahead of his home and he was out of God's will in this area. And he was ahead of his home. God wasn't going to change his will for, for Isaac's. God had already rejected Esau from having the birthright and he made that known to Isaac and Rebekah before they were even born. But because of his favoritism, Isaac disobeyed the Lord. Look at verses 27 and 28. It says, So the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And here it is in verse 28. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And we, we can easily put here where it says love favored. This is favoritism that we're looking at. And both parents had it. Both parents had favoritism to their children. We're given the reason why Isaac favored Esau. It says because he ate of his game. He benefited from it. He derived some kind of benefit from that son. So he favored him. He liked him more. He esteemed him more. And I believe when, when you look at their lives here in Genesis, that Jacob's character was, was more like Isaac's. 
Yet Isaac favored Esau. And then also Esau's character was more like his mom's, more like Rebecca, but Rebecca favored Jacob. It's, it's really too that sometimes opposites attract. We see that in marriages. We see that in, in, in parents and how sometimes they favor their children. There's a Bible teacher or a preacher named Griffith Thomas, and he had an interesting thought on this. Griffith Thomas said about them, he said, Isaac, the quiet, passive man, saw in Esau, the bold hunter, the energetic nature of the woman whom he had loved as a wife all those years. Rebecca, the strong, self-assertive woman, saw in the quiet, gentle Jacob, the quiet, passive husband whom she had loved so long. It is often found that the father loves the boy or girl who resembles the mother, while the mother is frequently found to favor the boy or girl whose nature is most akin to the father. And all that, all that's fine, right? That sometimes happens. But then he says, but when, as in this case, partiality or favoritism is carried to great extremes, nothing but trouble can result. If, if there's favoritism, favoritism is always destructive. Favoritism always hurts. It, it spoils the favored child and it hurts and embitters the one who's rejected. The one who feels and sees that he's or she's being rejected. Isaac loved Esau because he, he benefited something from Esau. And, and, and that's really idolatry. If we're seeking to get something out of anybody, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a friend, whether it's our own children or our parents, that's idolatry. We should be satisfied only because of the Lord. And when we're satisfied by the Lord only, then we can love everyone freely without favoritism. It doesn't say why Rebecca favored Jacob. It could have been because of what Griffith Thomas said. But the scriptures don't tell us. It could have been because Jacob was a homebody and he was closer to her while Esau was always out there. Jacob was always there with his mom, learning to cook, learning to take care of the house. That could have been the reason why. It could have also been because she didn't like that Jacob wasn't getting the attention that his big brother Esau was getting. And out of a, a mother's pity for her son, she she favored him and, and, and she showed him love and, and care more. It could have been because of the, the word that she received from the Lord. She knew that God had given her this, this word, and so she was going to be sure that she showed Jacob the favor that he should have gotten as having, in having the birthright in her mind. But the fact is that we're not told why she favored him. It doesn't say anything about why she favored him. We are told that she did. In the same way that the father showed favoritism to Esau, Rebecca showed favoritism to Jacob. And, and, and that's, that's hurtful. The fact is that their parents' favoritism meant that Esau had difficulty getting love and attention from his mother. And Jacob had difficulty getting love and attention from his father. And also children can learn their parents' sinful habits. Jacob learned to show favoritism just like his parents did. He showed favoritism to Joseph, which led to more problems. We know that Joseph's brothers, we're going to get there eventually, right, in, in this study in Genesis. Joseph's brothers despised Joseph. They hated him. And, and the father's favoritism just added to their hatred. So we see that sin really leads to more sin. It's, it's like a cycle. It, it gets worse and worse. And, and as we see them in our own families, we see them throughout the book of Genesis, as we see them in our own families, we need to break those sinful cycles. By God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can break those sinful cycles with God's help. We need to see them. We need to be humble enough to acknowledge them. And um, the less we see them, the more we're at fault. 
because of our blind spots. The more we need to seek by God's help to break them. So let's look at their sons, starting in verse 25. We're going to begin with their, their names. In verse 25 it says, And the first came out red, he was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. Esau means hairy. Then in verse 30, Esau was called Edom, and Edom means red. He was called Edom because it, it's, he told Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am... For I'm weary. The word stew isn't even in the original. He didn't say that red stew. He said, basically, feed me with that red. Feed me with, with that red stuff. That, that What he had in that pot, that stew, it looked good. Esau was tired. He had come in from the field. He was tired. He was hungry. And he came in. And I'm sure that, that Jacob made, made the stew that he knew his brother loved. It had the best ingredients in there. And he came in. He smelled it. And he wanted it. He wanted it. He was hungry. We, we we know the story. We just read it. Jacob said, well, sell me your birthright. Esau didn't care for his birthright. All he wanted was that bowl of red. And he got that bowl of red. So his name was called Edom. His, descendant, he, his descendants are called what? Edomites. Edomites. Named after Esau's sin. The Edomites were known for fighting with, um, with the Israelites. Fighting with God's people. They weren't God's people. Maybe some of them were the Lord's, but as a whole, they were not God's people. Instead, they fought against God's people. They fought against the Israelites. Named after their forefather because of his sin. And then let's look at Jacob in verse 26. Verse 26 says, Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Jacob means heel catcher or heel holder. He got this name because he was he was grabbing at Esau's heel even while they were in the womb. We know that because the prophet Hosea says it. In Hosea chapter 12, verse 3, it says, He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and in his strength he struggled with God. So in the womb, he's grabbing at his brother's heel even after they come out of, of the womb, even after they're born, first Esau and then Jacob. We read here in our text, Genesis 25 and verse 26, that Esau was... I'm sorry, that Jacob was grabbing at his brother's heel. So they called him Jacob, just constantly grabbing at his brother's heel. Jacob means to take by the heel. Jacob also means supplanter. Supplanter means to, to take another's place. And, and the idea is it's taking another's place wrongfully. By, by force, taking another's place. That's what Jacob means. Supplanter, heel grabber. So let's look again at verse 27 to look at their personalities or temperaments. In verse 27, it says, So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. These two have very different personalities. Twins in the same household, born at the same time. Very different people. They look different. They acted different. Esau is a, a skillful hunter, a man of the field. This was a man who liked the outdoors. He was an outdoorsman. He didn't just like the outdoors. He was skillful. Everything he liked, he was good at. And he made sure that he was good at this was a strong, a skillful, and a physical man. This, if he was to, if he was alive today, he would be the jock that every worldly father would be proud of. Everything he did was 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 good. Anything anything that was physical, athletics, hunting, anything outdoors, he was good at. And we can see why why Isaac was very proud of Esau. 
Esau was a man's man. Many men looked up to him. Many men followed him. We see this later on in their lives when, when Jacob wrongs Esau for the, for the last time and his parents send Jacob away to live with his, his uncle Laban because Jacob wronged Esau and Esau vowed to kill Jacob. So they sent Jacob away for his own safety and they're, they're gone for many years and then they meet again after many years of being apart from each other. They meet again and Jacob is scared at this time thinking, my brother is going to kill me. He's in hiding, right? But he feels bad. He wants to make things right with Jacob. So he sends people to go inquire, uh, find out where, where, where Esau is and, or he wants to make things right with Esau. He sends men to go find out where Esau is to try to make things right with, with him. And Jacob is, is concerned. He, he wants to make things right with his brother, but he's not sure if things are still dangerous to where his brother wants to kill him. But Esau really had no intentions to hurt Jacob. Esau got over his anger. And when they meet again, we read in, in, in Genesis 33 and verse 1 that they embraced each other. They kissed each other. There was weeping. There was two brothers that loved each other. And, and Esau really got over his anger against him. But one thing, one thing that I noticed there in Genesis 33 and verse 1, you can turn there if you want to see it. When Esau is getting ready to go see his brother, Jacob, I wish I could have been there to have imagined the conversation. Genesis, let's read the verse first. Genesis 33 and verse 1. This is when they meet again together after many years. They're already grown. Jacob already has his two wives, his, his two concubines, all of his, his, um, children and, and servants with them and all this livestock. And here comes Esau. Who does Esau have with him? It says in 33 and verse 1. Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked. And there Esau was coming and with him 400 men. 400 men. That's a lot of men. That's a lot of men. That's not just that he had wives and it was all the children. And I mean, these are 400 men. That's what I'm saying about being a man's man. This is a lot of men coming with Esau. And it says there, if you read that text, and Jacob was terrified. He thought, we're all going to get slaughtered. They're all going to kill, they're going to kill us, kill my wives, kill everyone I have and, and take all, take everything I have. He was terrified and we can understand. He, he had a guilty conscience all these years. I mean, that's, he, he was, a, he was, he was always taking advantage of Esau, no doubt. He, he, we understand he had a guilty conscience all these years. 400 men. I, I wish I could have been there to have heard the conversation with, with, um, Esau and these men. I don't know how many he was talking to before he started that journey to go meet with his brother, Jacob, after so many years, but I, I, I could see him telling them, I'm going to go see my brother. And they're, they're asking, your, your twin brother, Jacob? Yeah, I'm going to go see Jacob. Are you going to kill him? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to kill Jacob. I just haven't seen him in a long time. I want to see him. He's my brother. And, and these men are, you know, can we go with you? Um, maybe, maybe it'll, it'll scare him. Can we all go with you and, 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 and see him? And, and there's, there's Esau. Yes, come with me. This is a wonderful time. I'm going to see my brother after all these years. My twin brother, come with me. So all of these men, 400 men, this was, Esau was someone that we could almost, you could almost pity the guy if, if you know his story. Firstborn, 
His father really, really liked him. Uh, here's Jacob constantly trying to take the birthright from him, take the, take the blessing from him. He, he's taken advantage of he, everything he did was good. He could have been your best friend. He would have been there with you all day long. He, he was, we could say he was a good man according to worldly standards. And then when you know the fact that God says, Jacob, I loved and Esau, I hated. Jacob, God saved by his grace before he was even born. Esau, God didn't save. God didn't save in his grace before Esau was born. And then when you get to know Esau, you could think, you could almost pity the guy. If you didn't know his biggest problem, this guy who would be your best friend, he would be there for you. He'd stay with you all night. He'd, he'd, he'd play ball with you. He'd go hunting with you. He'd talk with you and, and just laugh with you. Unless you talk to him about spiritual things, he wouldn't want to hear that. That was his biggest problem. That was Esau's big, biggest problem. He had no love for God. He despised any blessings from God. He had no spirituality in his life. He, he, was, he was the carnal man who had no, he didn't have a, a spiritual bone in his body. You talk to him about the Lord, he'll say, that's good for you, but you know, I, I don't want to hear that. You know, he'll talk to you about anything and everything but the Lord. That was his biggest problem. He only lived for the present. He didn't love God. And he reaped the, the repercussions from that lifestyle. He was not someone to pity. Pity him because you know that salvation is by grace. But don't pity him because you see these qualities in him and you see these bad qualities in Jacob. Salvation is by grace whether we're good or, or bad or in between. But Esau didn't love the Lord. He wanted nothing to do with the Lord. He, it should have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Maybe not. You know, we know that God is provident. We know that God is sovereign. But we could really see that Abraham, Isaac, and Esau, but he despised the blessing. He was a firstborn, but he never got it because he had no love for the Lord. He didn't want the blessing. He didn't want the birthright. He didn't care for it. All he wanted was, was all he had, all he saw. He didn't think about the future. He didn't think about the long-term future with God. And then there's Jacob. Verse 27 says about Jacob. Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. Jacob was mild. The Hebrew there is, is the word Tom. I think that's how it's pronounced. Tom. Strong defines this word as complete. And this is an interesting word. This same word is translated as blameless in other places in the Old Testament. In Job 1 um, verse 8, Job is called blameless. In Proverbs 29 and 10, it's translated as blameless. In Psalm 37 and verse 37, it says, mark the, there's the word Tom, mark the blameless man and observe the upright for the future of that man is peace. It wouldn't work to translate Tom as mild there in verse, in, in Psalm 37 and 37. It would say, mark the mild man and observe the upright for the future of that man is peace. That, that wouldn't work. And we understand that there it's translated as blameless. There's a reason for that. And there is, there is, there is debate because of this. If God is saying that Jacob was blameless from the beginning, from this verse right here, is, are, are we to understand this as saying that Jacob is, is, a, is a blameless man dwelling in tents? We see that the translation here, the New King James Version calls him mild. So people, people, 
debate this, people wrestle with this, is God saying that, that he's blameless from the beginning of his life, or does, does God show that, no, it, it didn't, his, um, walk with God didn't really be evident until the time when he wrestled with the angel, and we know the angel is Jesus Christ. After that encounter, that's when he was blameless and righteous and walking with God, so, so there's, uh, different people that see this different ways. And as I've looked at this word, this Tom word, from the little bit that I understand, I can understand that this is a very diverse word. This word Tom is translated as blameless, complete, quiet, plain, civilized, and mild. So there's different ways that it can be, it can be viewed. And, and I gather two reasons why we have here what, why Tom isn't uh, translated as blameless here. The first one is because Jacob didn't act blameless. He didn't act blameless until later on in his life. The, the first part of his life, we see Jacob as a deceiver. Well, he was acting true to his name. A deceiver, a conniver, a liar. We don't see anything about him living righteously, trying to follow the Lord, trying to honor God until later on in his life. Another word why, another reason why I don't see that they, that would be translated as blameless here is because this isn't showing their spirituality. It's really contrasting their lifestyles. And it's contrasting their personalities, not their spirituality. It says that Esau was a man of the field, while Jacob was dwelling in tents. So it's it's showing that one is an excuse me, one is an outdoorsman, while the other the other one is is a homebody. So two different lifestyles, not not two different spiritualities. So Jacob being a mild man means he was simply a homebody. He, he was a simple man. He, he was easy to get along with, he didn't cause any problems, he didn't make any waves, he agreed with everything, he never he never made he never chose anything, he just went along with what everybody said and with what everybody did. He was not a leader. He was a follower. And that's what Jacob was. So let's look at that that dreaded day for Esau. Verses twenty nine to thirty four. The day of Jacob's deceit and Esau's defeat. That dreaded day where Esau made that terrible decision. Verses 29 to 34, it says, Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. And Esau said to Jacob, I'm sorry, and Esau said to Jacob, Let me start it over. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in, came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I am about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils, and he ate and drank, arose, and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So Esau had been out in the field. We don't know how long he was out in the field. We do not know that he came in. Instead of going to his own tent, he went to Jacob's. He probably smelled the food. I don't know if Jacob was known for having some good food. And he came in and he asked his brother for some of that stew. And and Jacob could have been kind. He could have did what any loving brother should have done. And he could have given him the stew. But he didn't do that. He wanted Esau's birthright. And he took advantage of Esau. The birthright here, the birthright, it's, it's basically the right of the firstborn. That's what birthright means. 
the right of the firstborn. Griffith Thomas, again, he explained the birthright well. I like how he said it. He said, the birthright seems to have included temporal and spiritual blessings. It carried with it a double portion of the pastoral, I'm sorry, the paternal inheritance. It gave the holder precedence as head of the family or tribe. Above all, it constituted the possessor priest and spiritual head of his people. Griffith Thomas said, all this Jacob evidently knew, and in light of, the, of what God had said to his mother, he really appreciated, he already appreciated the value of the birthright. So Jacob wanted this birthright from the beginning. As he learned what it was, he wanted it, and, and he heard that he was supposed to have it. So the birthright, we can understand it as the one who has it, has a double portion of the inheritance. So if any father has two sons, instead of dividing up his inheritance two ways and giving each son half, he divided his inheritance three ways. The first son got two portions and the second son got one. So a, a double portion of all the inheritance. And the one who had, who had the birthright had headship or authority over the family or headship over the, the whole tribe, if there was a whole tribe. He also had spiritual headship over the family. I like how Griffith Thomas said that he was the, the priest or the spiritual head of the people. And, and, and I think that's really the, the catch with, um, with Esau. Esau didn't want anything spiritual. Esau didn't want to be the spiritual head of the, of the family. So he, he really despised the birthright. He didn't, he didn't care for it. And as far as the benef- benefiting from it and getting double the inheritance, being, having headship in the family, he wasn't too concerned about that. He probably figured, I, I can go and, and make my own profit. So he despised the birthright. The birthright was the right of the firstborn. But even though it was the right of the firstborn, the firstborns weren't the firstborn son. Even though it was their right, they weren't guaranteed to have it. Reuben was the firstborn of Jacob. But the birthright didn't go to Reuben. Who did the, the birthright go to? Joseph. Joseph got the birthright, even though Reuben was the firstborn. It says in Genesis that Reuben defiled his father's bed by sleeping with his father's concubine. In First Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 2, it says that Reuben's birthright became Joseph's, even though Reuben was the firstborn. It also says in First Chronicles 26.10 about Shimri. It says, Shimri was the first, for though he was not the firstborn, his father made him the first. Uh, another time it says in First Chronicles 5.2, well, that's about Joseph having the birthright. But then also when, um, well, then here in this text, even though Esau was the firstborn, he despised his birthright, so he didn't get the, he didn't get the birth, the birthright. The other time was when, when Jacob was blessing um, Joseph's sons. Instead of giving the blessing to the firstborn of his sons, he, he switched his hands and gave his blessing to the secondborn. So the birthright wasn't guaranteed to go to the firstborn. And here Esau didn't get the birthright. So Jacob took advantage of him and told him, sell me your birthright. And then Esau told Jacob, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? And when we look at that, Esau wasn't about to die. He, he was tired. He was hungry. He was, he was probably just used to getting whatever he wanted whenever he wanted it. And he was a man that was controlled by his flesh. He was a man that was 
spoiled by his desires. He, he never told himself no. He never disciplined himself. He had no discipline. About someone like this, we read in Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. It says, it warns us, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. It says, Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. And that's the way it was with Esau. Whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Again, the way it was with Esau. Hebrews 12.16 tells us about Esau. It tells us that Esau was a profane person who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. That word profane, it means godless. It means someone who's just carnal, someone who has no spirituality about him. A profane person. He was carnal in every way. He had no love for God. He had no interest in God. Again, as I said, this was someone who loved everything that was worldly. He would be your best friend even, but he would he, he would not care for any of your spirituality. He would not care for any of your Christianity. Verse 34 says, Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. That's interesting how it says it in the verse, in the last verse of our text, there in verse 34. He ate, he drank, he arose, he went his way, and, and he despised his brother. He didn't know what he had done. Such a terrible, wretched thing that he had done. He didn't even know it. Ate, drank, arose, and went his way. He didn't have any spiritual sensitivity to realize it. Pastor Ka had talked to us about apostatizing. And, and we don't, we don't know when someone uh, apostatizes and turns away from the Lord, turns away from any final opportunity they have of receiving God's mercy, of receiving God's grace. This probably was the day that Esau finally apostatized. Is that how you say it? This was the last day of, of his apostasy. And he didn't realize what he had done. He had no repentance. He had no remorse. There was no guilt or shame in his life. Turn to Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 20. Esau was a lot like the adulterous woman in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse, chapter 30 and verse 20. He was a lot like this adulterous woman. It says, this is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wickedness. No guilt, no remorse. Eats, wipes her mouth. I didn't do anything wrong. This was Esau. Much different than the Christian, much different than the believer. When we do wrong, there's a spirit convicting us. There's maybe some truth that we remember convicting us. There's a shame and guilt. There's that desire for things to be made right with the Lord. When he sinned, he didn't realize what he did. Esau's name went from being Esau to being Edom because of his sin. His name changed. He got, he was, he was known by a new name because of his sin. His sin marked him that much to where his identity was really changed. His, his descendants, they weren't the Esauites. I guess that's how you would say it. They were the Edomites. Named after his sin. That's why his name changed. And, and as I mentioned, the Edomites Fought with, the, fought with the Israelites, the people of God. Jacob's name, 
Eventually, when we get there, Jacob's name is going to change. What's Jacob's name going to change to? Israel. Jacob's name is going to change to Israel. In Genesis 32, verses tw- or verse 28, the angel, the angel who is Jesus Christ, says, says to Jacob, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Israel means prince with God. Prince with God. Jacob was a deceiver, but God showed him mercy. God showed him mercy and saved him. And God blessed him. Just like God did with Isaac, God showed Jacob mercy and blessed him. God showed his father Isaac mercy and blessed him just like God did with Abraham, just like God did with Noah. As I mentioned, the book of Genesis is just full of families. Those who are not walking with the Lord, like Esau and his descendants, those who are walking with the Lord, like like Jacob and his descendants. It's the account of different families. And we really see the, the, the result the result of a life of a man who doesn't want the Lord versus the result of a, the life of a man who wants the Lord. Esau or, or Jacob would have gotten the, the blessing eventually. He would have gotten the, the birthright eventually if he waited on God's timing. Again, here we have another lesson in waiting on God's timing. The birthright and the blessing was, was going to be rightfully Jacob's. But because he didn't trust the Lord, he didn't have patience to wait on the Lord, he tried to get it his own way. Well, he was here running for his life. He couldn't have a good friendship with his with his brother. His mother, who loved him so much, had to send him away, and she never she probably never saw him again. He had to go in, in hiding, all because he tried to do things his own way. When it was already promised to him by the Lord. But he didn't he didn't wait on God's timing. Well let's pray.